Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From an increasingly depopulated underground, with a thousand-yard stare, it's election shock therapy. Hey, guys, how you holding up? I'm getting a little tired. Yeah, I'm a little tired, and we might as well go home because we ain't going to know the results for quite some time. Yeah. So we, we knew coming into this night there were a couple pathways that this uh, this race could go. If we had seen uh, Joe B- uh, Biden do really well in Florida early on and maybe also really well in a place like Georgia we could have said, well, okay, maybe we're headed towards some kind of a Democratic landslide here. That clearly hasn't happened. Uh, even though Florida hasn't been called yet, it's looking really, really likely that uh, Donald Trump is going to hold on and win Florida. North Carolina is very, very close. Georgia is not at all close at this point, although there's plenty more votes to count. But more importantly... There's a lot more states uh, which are going to be really pivotal to determining this race at this point uh, that are a long way from um, from uh, uh, us knowing anything clear about them. So, Andy, what states should we be paying attention to, and when do we expect to know something about them? Yeah, so it looks like, I mean, Wisconsin is uh, closer than predicted. Um, and of course, um, we said all along Pennsylvania is, um, going to be really pivotal. In fact, um, 538 had about a 37% chance that it was the tipping point state. So kind of the, where that divide is. Um, and then, um, Ohio is, as usual, really important. As Matt pointed out earlier, um, they, you know, almost, well, they always voted for the winners in the last 10 elections, right? And so all those are pretty tight. Um, we should have a pretty good feel for, um, where Wisconsin is, they say tomorrow. Um, and then Pennsylvania probably Friday. The other tight one is Michigan, and they're saying Michigan also. Um, we should have a pretty good sense tomorrow, but not tonight. Um, so those are the ones we're watching. But yeah, this is obviously a, a tight election, um, and it's close enough that we should probably expect um, that the, the teams of lawyers that these two campaigns have lined up, um, they will be getting some fees. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be having a field day. Um, it's interesting to note that um, you know the. The truly competitive races um, tonight, none of them have really been called, right? Um, some of them right. won't be called until early tomorrow at best, perhaps like Wisconsin, but some of them not for some days, um, either because um, it's just going to take them that long to count or simply because um, there are outstanding ballots um, that are still going to be delivered by the Postal Service, um, you know, before the deadline, which for some of these states um, extends to the end of the week or even into next week. Right. So, for example, in Ohio, uh, as long as a ballot is in the mail and postmarked by election date today, it can be received by a Board of Elections by November 13th and yep. still count. So, Ohio will be adjusting its final vote tallies 
into uh, not just this next week, but possibly even the following week. Yeah. So Pennsylvania, um, you know, until Friday, um, North Carolina um, for nine days after Election Day, Nevada, seven days after Election Day, Ohio, 10 days after Election Day, Iowa, six days after Election Day. Um, and in any of these states that are super close, um, you know, and you know, and it might be the case that they delay posting sort of their official results until all of these ballots are in and counted. Right. And as political scientists, um, we're interested, obviously, in the actual process by which we learn who the president is, who controls the Senate, who controls the House. But at the same time, we also care about the polity. We care about the country. Right. And one of the reasons why we're a little bit nervous about this result and the way it's trending is not because of which candidate is is doing well or not. What right. we're worried about is the fact that as the election becomes very close and both sides will be incentivized to employ extensive legal teams uh, to challenge the veracity of votes and to um, to scrutinize uh, significant portions of the electorate and potentially disenfranchise people, but also to really attenuate the process of the election itself, we're worried of what that might do to American democracy. And we're yeah. worried that this might, at a certain point, really cause people to, to question the validity of the electoral process. My concern, my fear, is that wh- whoever's inaugurated in January, they're in, being inaugurated with a substantial portion of the American population believing that their inauguration is illegitimate. Right. And that's my real concern with where we could be trending, which is no fault of either one of the candidates. They both contested this election very hard, but the way that this is playing out could be really problematic and something that... I hope we have the leadership to exercise patience on. Yeah. And I'm not sure I'd quite go so far as to say it's no fault of either of the candidates, right? Because in, in some senses, they both fed this narrative, right? I mean, they've both fed this narrative of, um, you know, saying, like, I, we expect there might be shenanigans. We expect this process might be illegitimate. I mean, the president in particular has been, you know, very much played this this kind of um, narrative a lot, right? Like, I'm, you know, what's with all these mail-in ballots? This is dodgy, right? Um, but th- on the other side, I mean, you know, Vice President Biden um, and some of his supporters have also, you know, sort of basically made it sound like they'll they'll question the results if they don't win, right? Which is not really how democracy works, right? I mean, like, you, you, you win some, you lose some, right? But you respect the process. And from both sides, there's been some agitation, like they're not going to respect the process or they'll only respect the process if it cranks out the result they want. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's concerning. And one of the concerns I have um, in just conversations I've had with people is that, you know, it's it's the extreme partisans on the left and the right that are out there yelling about how the process is going to be rigged or the election right. is going to be stolen or somehow the, the counting process itself is going to be um, invalid in some way. And it's interesting to see um, these narratives seep into more of middle America, into people who aren't hyper-partisan, right. also beginning to question, you know, is, you know, are, can we actually trust these results? Um, and that's what really concerns me, is not merely that hyper-partisans are saying this, because hyper-partisans are going to maybe say crazy things on occasion. It's it's right. that this is beginning to seep into, into sort of more of the middle of America, people who don't necessarily tune into politics and follow right. it like their favorite sport. They're beginning yeah. to question this. Um, and so, even though I'm not necessarily worried about you know, the election. I'm not worried about the election being rigged. I'm worried right. about everyone else thinking that it might be yeah, rigged or exactly. stolen or impacted in some way. And that, right. and if if you know, a lot of people think that way, you know, then then our democracy is in trouble. 
Right. I think, and I think that's an important point. I mean, I think the evidence is very strong um, that this is not being rigged, right? That when you look at like what we're doing with our processes, we actually have really good processes in place, but um, there is, you know, that concern that if the perception is it's being rigged, um, then people lose, you know, they lose confidence. I mean, so one of the, you know, the terms we talk about when we cover, you know, sort of the role of the state and how, how people think about the state is this idea of legitimacy, right? Do people accord the state legitimacy? Um, and part of that is according you know, legitimacy to the processes that choose who gets to have power. Um, and I think there's a real concern that the legitimacy of our, our republic is um, declining. Yeah. Another thing I'll say, too, is that um, I mean, it looks like so far what this election is showing us you know, obviously we have very partial results at this point, um, is that, you know, partisanship, um, is still, um, is still very much in play. Um, you know, yeah. we are an extremely polarized, yep. um, and partisan country and, and that's the way it's looking tonight and how the Senate, um, and the presidential races are tracking with each other. I think Andy pointed it out previously. Um, and, and because of this, this partisanship, um, it just shows that, um, you know, a big wave election is simply, is simply almost never in the cards. You know, even if you have an historically um, sort of unliked um, presidential incumbent, right? Um, that alone um, isn't going to produce, you know, a blue wave, you know, a wave in the other direction. Um, so, you know, the blue wave is off the table, it looks like at this point. Um, you know, Biden could still win the popular vote, but it's not, um, you know, necessarily going to be by quite the margins that, that we expect. Well, we'll see. Right. We'll see at the end of the day. Um, but it's, this isn't going to be a huge Biden blowout. Um, certainly not in the Electoral College. And it looks like, you know, thinking about the Senate for just a minute, it looks like the Senate, you know, a large Democratic sort of majority in the Senate is probably not in the cards either at this point. Um, the best I think Democrats can hope for is one, maybe two vote majority in the Senate. Um, yep. but that's not even a, a done deal. Uh, a tie is certainly possible. It's even possible that Republicans might uh, maintain a very slim majority in the Senate. We'll have to see um, how things play out there. Yep, I think that's that's right. Um, if you want to switch to one fun fact um, for a moment. Um, in the Minnesota Senate race, I was just checking ours, and we have a long ways to go in it. Um, the legal marijuana now candidate is at almost 6% of the vote. So people felt like they wanted to register um, that note um, instead of voting for either the Democratic candidate Tina Smith or the Republican Jason Lewis. I would love to see the demographics on that um, <laughs> if we yeah, could ever get fun. any data on that. I mean, exit pollers, yeah. polls are not going to be worthwhile, but, right, but we right. might get some, some uh, yep. voter information out of that yep. eventually. Yes. Interesting. So let me just say one more thing as we wrap up here tonight. Thank you for listening to us and following along with us, uh, whether here live or at... Um, uh, in your respective podcast hole, wherever you're at. <laughs> um, we will be back in your feed later this week. We uh, normally record kind of middle of the week. We're going to put that off this week because we just need to give a little more time for these uh, county boards of elections to count up their ballots, and then we'll have something more useful to say. Also, looking ahead, next week, we are going to be gathering in the uh, Bethel Library uh, for, a again, another live session. 
for uh, a chance to really process the elections. We're banking by November 13th. We will really know something. <laughs> right. I, I certainly hope we do um, <laughs> for many reasons. We'll at least know where the lawsuits are at. So we'll be uh, gathering in the, in the, about the library for a live recording. Please join us if you're local and socially distanced and sign up for that. Uh, we can only accommodate, I think, 20 people or so. 20 or 25. And yeah. uh, we'd love to have you join us for that. Uh, also, one more thing to throw at you guys before we wrap. We did get one more question, and I love this question, so I have to ask it. It is, um, I'll read it, but then I'll, I'll add one little uh, uh, asterisk to it. Um, and, which, and here's the question. What happens if Biden has a stroke and dies before all the votes are counted? And I'll just say, what happens if any of the candidates die before all the votes are counted? Chaos. Well, yeah, probably. Doom. <laughs> so we actually, um, if you go into our American political history, we have actually had this happen before, um, where a presidential candidate or a vice presidential candidate died after the election and prior to um, the sending in of the electoral votes. Um, now, the thing was, it didn't really matter very much because they had already um, lost, right? And so we have Horace Greeley in 1872 ran for president against Ulysses Grant, um, he dies right after the election, but he lost anyway, so they just sort of scattered the votes among different people. Um, 1912, James Sherman, who was the sitting vice president, running for re-election with William Howard Taft, loses, but they only win eight electoral votes anyway, um, and so they decide like to allot them to somebody else. So the short answer is, you basically, the party could try to coordinate um, and get the, those votes to unite behind a particular person, um, if as long as it's before the electoral college votes are submitted. Um, if they did that, then they, you know, they have to try to get the, the electors to cooperate. And electors are real people. So, I mean, they could choose to cooperate or they could choose to say, no, I don't like the person you're telling me to unite behind. I want somebody else. Um, if that was a situation where the president, you know, the presidential candidate, let's say Biden, would, would have won a majority um, and they split them among multiple people, then the election would get thrown to the House of Representatives and the House would have to choose among the top three electoral vote getters. Right. Um, and it gets tricky, too, because states, some states have laws that govern what their electors can do. Right. 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 Um, and not all of the state's laws on this, to my knowledge, have um, built in sort of contingencies um, for these sorts of scenarios. Basically, there are giant, um, you know, logic bombs and um, holes in in not only you know our our you know regulatory law, but also our constitution um, on these sorts of you know su- you know presidential succession um, and election questions that right. um, hopefully never get tested. If they do, it's going <laughs> to be the most epic mess ever. Yeah. So and we're we're hoping against that very yeah, strongly. Yeah, what I don't know is like could they choose to just cast the votes for the dead candidate, right? Like I mean, could you just say like okay guys, we're all sticking with Biden even though he's not alive anymore, right? We um we are going to cast the votes and then we will then go to, you know, the vice president. In this case. Right. Harris, right, that she would just succeed and then she would then go about the normal constitutional process of appointing a replacement to, for herself as vice president. I don't know if you can do that. I don't I, I just don't know what the answer to that is, but that would be the another another simple way to handle it. Is just say nothing changes, just do everything you're going to do. It's yeah, that would yeah, that would be the simplest approach, yep. but even that is fraught with all sorts of right intricate problems. So. For sure. Right, especially if like you know, there's a, a block of electors who are who are fine with Joe Biden as president but not with Harris, right? I mean like then it would get tricky too. Um, so 
One more quick thing before we sign off for the night. I keep saying that, but this is really the last thing. Uh, we uh, <laughs> pulling your Columbo routine here. One more thing. Yeah, one more thing. <laughs> uh, the um, Fox. I don't think the AP, but Fox is calling Arizona for Biden. Ooh. Um, and why that's significant is that um, even uh, we're like with Trump likely to win Florida. There's a lot of pressure on Biden to win the Upper Midwest. That's Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. If with with an Arizona win, if that holds up, that gives Biden one more pass on one of those other states in the upper Midwest. So mm-hmm. Trump really needs to win four of those five states in the upper Midwest to win to, to to retain the presidency. Biden now can get away with winning three of them now that he has Arizona, um, and he can still have a path to get to two seventy. Yep, yep. And Arizona's looked like a very likely flip, although not a guarantee. Um, but that is, that would be the first flip of this, the cycle of, of state that actually is going from, um, a candidate who voted for last time, Donald Trump, to the candidate of the other party. Yep. So. Yeah, and this, this fits what we, what we were saying earlier about how the Hispanic vote, for example, in Florida is very different than the Hispanic vote in Arizona, right? Yep. Um, and this would very much fit um, that that narrative if it turns out that Arizona does go for Biden. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. You can always get a hold of us, electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. We'll be back in your feed really soon with mo- hopefully more firm results. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us tonight. And until next time, go Royals.